Live from the Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. It's Tuesday, much to get to. Q Myers, our Raiders insider. Adam's a Raiders insider, too. Uh, Q Myers coming up from Lockdown Raiders podcast in the middle of the hour. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. And aren't you just sick? Just sick, sick, sick of these overpaid glory hounds with these massive contracts. Well, we hear that all the time in sports. I rarely do that. So why would I do that in the world of entertainment, especially when it's a UNLV guy? Raider fan and UNLV guy, Guy Fieri, apparently assigned a new contract. What, about three, four million a year? Food Network has signed Guy to a three-year, $80 million extension. Is that good acting? I I knew it. $26 million (laughs) a year. And here's the thing. I'm like, I, I... his stuff is on all the time. Yeah. I mean, he shows he freaking have. He's he's a he's he's a walking freaking bank vault, money maker, cash cow I, for Food Network. And I'm sure there's some competition in the you know you got two different what is it Food Network and Cooking Channel. So I'm sure there were some offers out there. Hey, if you you got leverage, then you can make big money. So yeah, three years, eighty million dollars for Guy Fieri, which brings me back to who was working with Trebek on his deal on Jeopardy? Yeah. The reports were that Trebek made like twelve mil a year, which for the rest of us, maybe not for you because you've got a massive contract. True. For the rest of us, like eh, twelve mil is great. Guy Fieri, twenty six mil a year. What were you doing, Trebek agent? Well, Trebek is only doing one show. Guy's doing like twelve. He does do twelve shows. Uh, but here's the weird thing: I'm. This is not. This is dead serious. God, that's so awesome. I saw this contract today. This yeah. the story, and I would have bet a lot of money that he stopped doing shows like seven years ago. Oh no! And that everything's a rerun. Oh no! Diners, drive-ins, and dives—that's still you, on. You, oh, you go there. The, there are hundreds and hundreds. I mean, they pump out. They pump out shows left and right. Think about this: guy was here at UNLV, and you know, part of his story was that he was working at four kegs. Yeah. Can you imagine walking up to him like whatever it was, you know, twenty-five years ago, and going, "Dude, you're going to get twenty-six million dollars a year <laughs> as a chef someday." It's insane. It, it's it's, crazy, it's so cool. Awesome for him. He, you know, seems to be a good dude. Uh, we didn't get to get into his restaurant in New York because we weren't allowed to during Super right. Bowl we week. Get... Yeah. How about, how about that as the ultimate revenge? That was his Super Bowl uh, in New York, and we had read a review of his New York City Times Square restaurant, calling it like one of the worst restaurants ever, and we're like, we're going. Yes. Because we're backers of Guy Fieri, and we went there, and like you said, there was a corporate event. We got blocked out from it. I know, I know the corporation. I won't say them, but they rented out the restaurant for the entire week. God. We couldn't get in any day that week. Big money. Big money and garbage can nachos. How about that? Next up. Number four. Another UNLV guy and Kenny Maine. See how we do that? Uh, Kenny Maine leaving ESPN. What a way to go out. You really enjoyed this. There were a lot of comedic elements. There was funny moments. He got a bang-up interview with Aaron Rodgers that everyone's talking about today where, you know, A-Rodge didn't exactly say that, hey, I'm back. You know, I'm going back to the Packers. You thought what out of the convo that he's done like they're yeah it's over yeah that that was my takeaway from it uh i thought for sure i mean i i kind of went in i think if you go in leaning one way you probably came out leaning the same way um 
But to me, like, I don't think he's going to play. So it's either trade him or he's retiring. Damn. Uh, best part of Kenny Main farewell was Fred McGriff appearance. I mean, there's high. Uh, Marshawn Lynch talking about aliens was tied with Fred McGriff finally admitting for all the world to hear that he has never seen the Tom Amansky video. What is the Tom Amansky video? I mean, if you watched like certain channels, this is when you watch commercials, right? You saw, yes, when I used to watch commercials, the commercial was on all the time. I think the most notable thing was well, Fred McGriff like pointing at the camera, like this will work for you. Uh, but work for me, it'll work yeah, for you. Yeah. Uh, but I think the one most people remember is like throwing uh, a throw from the outfield into a trash can at home plate it was like one of the big drills. Yep. Uh, but it was like it was a fundamentals skill video uh, for you know for kids, and you would order it and teach your kid fundamentals. And Tom Amansky would you know show them how to do it. And Fred McGriff is on there, basically like get this video, like it worked for me, it'll work for you. And he's never seen it. He's never seen it. He finally admitted it. Are you heartbroken? You were misled for all those no, years. No, I never believed that he saw, that he actually. Saw Could you it. ever throw a baseball on two bounces from the outfield into the garbage? Hundred percent. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you had a noodle. No, it's not true. Had a great arm. No, no, it's not. It's true. not. Not true. I pitched and played third base. I had a pretty good arm. Apparently, you were a good baseball player. I was a very good baseball player. Up until, like, 13. I trust you. Well, like we've always said, you were were one of the kids. Because we had a couple of these guys. Like, you were just a giganto kid. So, from, like, 7 to 13, you were just bigger than everyone. And you could could probably throw a curveball. It was like, oh, look at that guy. And then, just boom, that's it. You stop growing. Also had a great pickoff move. Oh, stop. Stone kids. <laughs> picking off kids. Are a great pickoff. And and would go. Is that your twinkle toes bowling would, style that you yes. do? Flint, like Fred Flintstone? That would that work for your pickoffs? And would go hidden ball trick all the time. Oh, my God. Well, you, you are smarter than the average bear baseball player. And then I learned I, I learned you have to go tell the umpire first because all t- you'd fool them way too way more than you would even fool runners. And then they would like they would be so, so thrown off that they'd be like, uh, I, don't, I don't know what just happened. So you'd have to alert them that you're going to do it. Oh, I knew all the tricks of the trade, but yeah, I, I was I was a good baseball player. Never a Tom Amansky video guy, and I'm glad I wasn't. I'm glad I didn't buy the hype. Top three, number three. Teddy Bruschi has a solution for the rift between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. You know the type of drama you're going to have if you keep him on the roster and he's just not there within your locker room? Here, I'll give you the player perspective. The player's going to be like, what in the world are we doing? Get him out of here if he doesn't want to be here because he obviously doesn't want to be here and get someone in here that can help us. You don't want that type of drama in that locker room. Players, veteran players don't want it either. So, Aaron Rodgers, check that. Teddy Bruschi says you could help fix things by making a trade, bring in someone to help. That would be Julio Jones. <laughs> now, his first point there, he said the players are going to say, get him out of here. Are you sure, Teddy? Adam Schefter tweet a half an hour ago, Aaron Rodgers wasn't the only Packer missing at OTAs today. Green Bay was missing its top five wide receivers. Devontae Adams, MVS, Lazard, Devin Funches, Equinemius St. Brown. Wait, so who's going to say, get him out of here? <laughs> right. The five guys seemingly supporting him by no showing? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, Oops. I don't think those guys are going to rally together to say, get him out of here. I, I think they're in support of him and uh, would love to have him there. And, like, by the way, what, what, I could see this with other guys. Like, the Tebow thing, I could see driving a locker room apart. Having, like, the best quarterback in the world is not driving yeah. your locker room get apart. Get him out of here. 
Nobody wants that. I think they know what's going on. Top two stories. Number two. Strategic, childish, caught up in the moment. What was the deal with the uh, A's president coming to town? He's bouncing around town. He's visiting different people in Las Vegas today, apparently talking to uh, the folks from the Clark County Commission, uh, Mayor Goodman later in the week, Henderson folks later in the week. And sorry, I'm calling it childish because uh, I don't understand why you would poke the bear, why you would pour salt in the wound. And he didn't do much, but it got people rankled. Um, Dave Cable, the president, was at the game last night at the Fortress and tweeted out a shot of the crowd, a video of the crowd, and said, wow. And a lot of Oakland fans took that as, you know, hey, you're rubbing it in our face. You're saying you're moving to Vegas. And I don't. That's not what he's saying, but uh, there's some message in there. Was that just an innocent tweet? Didn't realize that it was going to ruffle feathers? Well, also it happened while the A's were playing. And I think yeah. you could say in front of three thousand and nineteen. Right, you could say look at look at all the support here in Vegas and the lack of support while a game is going on back in Oakland. I mean, there's a lot of things you can read into it. Uh, we heard from, you know, we're here at, at Dustin Hart's office. We heard from him earlier. He's an A's fan, and he said he was on the uh, the A's message boards, and they were going nuts about this. They were not happy uh, that this that this tweet went out, especially the timing of it and when it did. Um, it's clear there's there's games being played uh like listen in in his defense if you want to you know use that word defense if he needs to be defended like he's here to try to drive up their bargaining power in oakland and in other cities that's his job he actually is doing his job yeah and he's been a likable or a well-liked guy kind of a you know man of the of the fans now he's got to play both both roles so i guess we maybe we should feel for him a little bit <laughs> Maybe generally I mean, not us, but it's his job. Like you know, it, it reminds me of a little bit. It's a very different situation, but remember the I I was gonna say we. I used to crush Bill Hancock, yeah, the head of the was, BCS. Was, so did I, because he was just he would say the dumbest things. Yeah, and like when we met him, he was like super nice, and and then I was completely told, like, dis, completely disarming. Right. Great guy, and you're like, yeah, I guess he was just doing it's his like job. He, he was but just it would doing his job well. Us. It would infuriate us. Because he would say the dumbest things in defense of the BCS. And it's like, at, at some point, he wasn't anymore. And he was like, what do you think my job was? It was to defend the indefensible thing. Well, he didn't <laughs> say that to us. Like, imagine off the air, he's like, I heard what you guys said. It's just a job, you idiots. <laughs> well, See how nice I am? Actually, I know one of his best friends who said to me, by the way, like, your conversation with him, like, that he didn't like the BCS. Right. He was doing his job. Nice job. <laughs> Top story. Number one. Now, we're supposed to be in celebratory mode, you know, as a market uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, looking ahead to an Avs series. What the heck happened last night? Dominant second period. Lots of shots in the third period. Not a great first period. Do you lay some of the blame at the feet of the man who should have a statue in front of the fortress, Marc-Andre Fleury? Were you disappointed? Does he need to step up? Well, I don't think need to step up. Is the right? I mean, he was—he's been unbelievable in this series. Yes, go go back to form of being unbelievable. He, they need it. He wasn't good yesterday, and certainly wasn't good enough. And 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 the only reason I really oh, say this because like, hey, you're going to have bad games, you're going to lose games, and a lot of the times goaltenders are going to decide games in the playoffs. But like, we also we know that there is there's two goaltenders, and there's been games where the Golden Knights have lost, you know, one nothing. And Robin Leonard's in the head, and it's, it's like, oh, Robin Leonard, if you would have started Fleury, you would have won. Not always the case. It's not always that simple. Goaltenders have off nights. They allow goals in. Marc-Andre Fleury has been absolutely unbelievable in the series. He should continue to start. Um, he's, he's been great. 
But last night, I think a lot of it is on him. On the way back, let's address the fact that the Knights have a game or more games, and now the Avs are just waiting. Like, what are these extra games? They got to get out of the series. I mean, that's the first. We keep looking ahead, but what what is this going to do to their chances if they do advance against Colorado? It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570 9000. From the fantastic Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. Big night of NBA action on the way. You got the Clippers and the Lakers playing tonight, 7 and 7.30. So game two for Lakers and Phoenix. Of course, they're down one nothing. Same for Dallas and the Clippers. And that's 7.30. Clippers are down one nothing Right now, uh, my Nets, 58-35. Against the Celtics, about five minutes left in the first half. All right, so how worried should Knights fans be about this series getting extended and the Avs just getting a chance to, you know, hang out, mend up? I think worried. Uh, well, first of all, I, I don't think you should be worried about the Avalanche. You should be worried about the Wild. Uh, is what I know, we keep mean. jumping ahead like this series is over, and I know it's not. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I do think the Knights you know, should be a favorite in, in the game tomorrow. I think they should win the game. Uh, we've talked about it. if they play the same game they played yesterday, they probably win tomorrow. Uh, so there shouldn't be like panic. You've got to be concerned, but yeah, I think there there is in the back of your mind you start thinking about you know being extended and and going through the stress of this series while the Avalanche are just resting, getting healthier, and just kind of waiting for you. Uh, there is that there is that part of it, and you know I I, I think the Avalanche would almost even prefer. I think the Avalanche might prefer the Knights to close it out tomorrow. Like, that would give them about the right amount of rest. You think there's just too much rest? Yeah. Where it gets like, to rust? Like, I'm sure the Avalanche are thrilled that the Knights have to take another flight across the country and play the Wild. But I, I think going through a Game 7, now you're looking at the Avalanche maybe not playing for a little more than a week, uh, depending on when they would end up starting the series. So I think the Avalanche are happy that the Knights were extended and pushed. But I think if they're gonna if they're going to play, if they're gonna play the Knights, I'm sure they're glad they had to make an extra trip. And what the Avalanche really want is the Wild to win in Game Seven, and they get a matchup against the Wild. You know, in all that dominant play, where VGK was in the Wild zone, I felt like some of the defensemen had some opportunities, and you know, between Petrangelo and I don't know, what do you think of Shea Theodore? Well, Shea has struggled yeah. in the series uh, to get pucks on net and, and to play his game. But I think part of it is not necessarily on him. Part of it's on the wild. And I know uh, talking to uh, you know, my colleague, Dave Shane, who does such a great job uh, along with Ben Goats covering the team. But me and Dave were having a conversation today uh, about what they're doing with Shea Theodore. And we were kind of comparing it. And this was his thought, but we kind of expounded on a little bit like, they're essentially like doing playing him the way you would play a really good three-point shooter in basketball. Like they are closing out so hard on him. They're like, make a decision. Like do it. Like we're not going to let you sit at the blue line and find ways to pick your pick your spot where you're going to put your shot. His shot is so dangerous. Not only finding the net from the blue line, but also creating rebounds, uh, creating opportunities for tips. Like there's so much that he does with his shot from out of the blue line. That as soon as the puck is going his way, 
they're just aggressively closing out on him and making him make a decision right away. But usually that's to pass it up because if you got a guy charging right at you, no sense just shooting at him. So you he either passes or tries to make a move and you know goes toward the net, which then opens up uh, potentially you know rushes the other way. Like they are really really getting aggressive with him uh, when he has the puck, and and that's something. Listen, teams are going to do that. You have to figure out a counter to that. You have to figure out ways to beat it. But the Wild have decided they are not letting Shea Theodore beat them from the blue line. Coming up, Q Myers, our Raiders insider, is going to give us his take on what's going on with the A's. He is a Bay Area native. So we'll talk about that. And also, uh, you know, really important day to reflect on uh, the one-year anniversary of the death of George Floyd. Get that mortgage tuned up right now. 877-700-NOVA is the number to call at Nova Home Loans. From the fantastic Nova Home Loan Studios, Cofield and Company is back. Tuesday, lots to get into our weekly visit with Q Myers, Waco, and of course, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM and Locked On Raiders podcast. We got a lot of Raider stuff to get to here in just a couple minutes, but uh, I wanted to get into what's going on with the Oakland A's and the, the brass in town to to visit. And uh, you noticed a, a very conspicuous tweet from the Golden Knights game last night. What was going on? Yeah, I saw Dave Cavall, and he's very uh, adamant about the A's. You know, he's right there in the front office of the A's, and uh, he put out a tweet saying, wow, Stanley Cup playoffs at Golden Knights, and you could just see that environment. And, of course, the A's are in the middle of a battle trying to get a stadium. They're talking about Vegas, talked about Portland, talked about different areas where they could possibly move. But I don't think it was any mistake that he just sent that tweet out. I don't think he was just there as a fan enjoying the environment and enjoying the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think he put out that tweet uh, with that big, great environment to let it be known that, hey, man, I think the A's could get used to being here in Las Vegas. This is this is fun. This is the kind of uh, attention that we need. So I, I definitely think it was a chess move that Dave Cabal made right there. That's, that's a great way to put it. This is so much about chess and moves and PR. And while yeah. I appreciate the fact that the A's brass appreciates the fans and the atmosphere that's been created at the Fortress, Someone should also give him a couple of elbows to the ribs and go, just so you know, Dave, this arena was privately financed. Zero public dollars. Be careful what you wish for out in the news media. It was uh, about $350, $375 million. Zero came from us. So it can be done, Dave. You can get private financing. Come on down to Vegas with private financing. Right, right. Uh, because if not, we all know how it shakes out. We all know how the public financing goes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of Raider fans, a lot of fans in general, football fans right now saying, wait a minute, why are these tickets so price- pricey? Why is it so high? Why do I got to pay so much money? Well, like you mentioned last week, the, the building's got to be funded somehow. So that's that's what it is. And actually, I saw a report just uh, yesterday, I believe, where it said that the Raiders, you know, they had to have another uh, base, not a loan, but they had to take out another payment to get Allegiant Stadium to make their, their payment just because they didn't have the proper funds right now. Well, the, the money from the hotel tax funds is a little behind pace. Now, they did have a reserve fund. So they're yeah. really a lot of this is pulling from the reserve fund. I think sometimes when those stories go out, people just read headlines and everyone thinks it's a desperate situation. And by no means am I a giant supporter of the hotel tax deal right. and all of the, how that went down, but uh, they're not in, you know, desperate straits for money. But I, but I get your point. Like it, there, yeah. there could be a point when you public finance that everyone always says, "Hey, it's not, it's not your money locally in Vegas." Like, well, if the money's not coming from the hotel tax revenue, eventually it is going to be our money. Someone has 
to pay for it. So let's get back to the A's in a couple minutes. Q Myers is with okay. us. Let's start out with some NBA. Uh, so this is a big night in the NBA. Uh, first of all, the Clippers are up. You know, you're in Texas. The Mavs upset the apple cart with a good win coming out. What do you make of the series? Because I'm seeing Clipper haters and Clippers fans like already starting to freak out. Like it's a long series. Do you see some signs with the Clippers where it's like, hey man, they're not going to get it done again in the playoffs? I just don't believe in the Clippers. That's the thing about it. And I know that the Dallas Mavericks are a hungry team led by Luka, of course, but they're just a hungry, scrappy type team. And the Clippers, to me, Steve, and and you know how the season ended and how it shook out and how they did all the maneuvering that they can do to avoid the Lakers and get the Dallas Mavericks. To me, I don't think they have a winning culture. I don't think they have... I don't want to say winners because we know Kawhi is a winner. We know that guys can win games that are on that squad, but I think they just have guys. I don't think they've built up the camaraderie to be a winning team. I think at the end of the day, as bad as it's going to sound, they're still the Clippers. You know what I mean? And, and Kawhi is a really good player, great player even. But I just don't think that that culture of winning is there, and they have that dog in them to go get it done when it has to get done. I don't think they took the season seriously enough, and, and the way that they kind of, you know, I don't want to say, well, I do want to say, they kind of ducked the Lakers at the end. They just, I I don't think that that's a good recipe. How about that? I also wonder if their concern about being ready for the playoffs, you know, resting a bunch, uh, always seemingly with an attitude like, hey, we'll get it done when we need to get it done, starts to affect them in the playoffs and they don't have a killer instinct. Like, hey, it's a long series. We can always take care of business down the road. I still don't understand why now uh, the move will be made to have Kawhi on Luka. Why, why isn't that happening in game one? Like, get out of the series 4 nothing, Crush the opponent. Yep, exactly, exactly. Just put your will on them, you know? And Kawhi is a great two-way player. And it's, it's, a, it's sad, I think, as an NBA fan that we have to talk about two-way players because everyone doesn't play both, both ends of the court. But Kawhi is a great two-way player. And when push comes to shove, he's not locking down the guy that you know that can hurt you the most, which is Luka. Luka's a great player. He's, I mean, he could just do anything he basically wants to do on the court. And Kawhi's got to take that away from him. And that's when a guy like PG, if Kawhi has to take a little bit off on the offensive side of things, that's when PG's supposed to step up. But I just don't think that they have that killer instinct. I don't think they have that dog in them. And I don't think they have the winning culture in that building, in that organization. What did you see from the Lakers? Do we have a series here? First of all, that question is kind of ridiculous. It's a 2-7 matchup, and the Lakers were right. favored going in. But I think the Suns are going to give them a long series here. I think the Suns have a chance to to win this. And again, the Lakers better wake up quickly. I, I could not believe the lack of urgency from uh, both LeBron getting downhill. He only got like four buckets or four attempts inside of 10 feet. And then AD gets outplayed by DeAndre Ayton that badly. Right. I I saw a tired bunch from the Lakers. I I really think that that game that they played against the Warriors took everything out of them. And and I hated the fact that the Warriors, it took everything out of them as well, as you saw what happened against Memphis uh, in that final play-in game where they ultimately lost and ended their season. But the Lakers just look like a tired bunch. LeBron looks like he's clearly hurt. He looks a step or two slower. Um, I mean, I don't know how many times I saw the Suns get a steal and instead of LeBron hustling back down the other way to try to, you know, chase him down and and maybe slap it off the backboard, he's just barely crossing half court. He just, he looked like father time is starting to catch up to him, especially with the injuries. Now, the problem with this is 
Chris Paul's injury is a major concern for me for this series. We all know Chris Paul over years and years and years has been injured at the worst time. This would be the worst time for a guy who's been an MVP type player all season long for the Suns. This would be the worst time for him to be out. His shot at the end of game one looked awful. I mean, he just couldn't get it up there. He did make one of them, but you could tell he was he was hurting out there and he was really out there as a as a as a mentor and a guy that's trying to lead a bunch of young dudes. But I'll tell you, without Chris Paul out there, those young dudes don't get it done like they did against the Lakers in game one. They're not even in the situation that they're in without Chris Paul, but he's got to be healthy we'll see how the Lakers come out in game two but I think you're right man I think this is going to be a long series and I would not be shocked if the Lakers don't make it out of it Q Myers is with us here on Cofield and Company on a Tuesday NFL time it never ends man it never ends the transactions the rumors Julio Jones now is a big part of the conversation we were talking about Julio a couple of weeks ago saying hey June 1st is going to be a key day lots of veterans big names could be out there could be released could be traded so what do you, uh, first of all, think about Julio Jones going on live TV yesterday? I don't know if he knew he was live or not, but he goes on and basically said he, he proclaims the end of the era with Atlanta. Then he also says he doesn't want to go to the Cowboys. What do you think of the convo on live TV? I, I thought that was not really a cool move. Um, I don't know because it's undisputed and you know how that goes. I, I don't know if it was staged or not, but it sounded like he <laughs> didn't know that he was on TV. And I think that that wasn't cool on Shannon Sharp's part to do that. But uh, again, that's what they're going to do on that kind of show. So it is what it is. That's the reason why I'm not a big fan of it. But of course, it, it went off like wildfire on Twitter. And so that's where I saw it and, and actually listened to the conversation. Uh, I think Julio Jones knows that it's a done deal in Atlanta. He's going to be on his way out. The one thing I took away from that conversation is he said he wants to go to a winner, but he doesn't have a no trade clause. So it's not like he can pick and choose. If Cincinnati comes to the table with the best offer, Atlanta will say, all right, you're going to the Bengals. That's not a winning team. I get it. He wants to go to a winning team at the end of his career, but it's not up to Atlanta to find a winner for him to go to and satisfy him. It's up to them to find a, a, the best the best case scenario for the team so they can also get something back in return. They're already going to have to eat some of that money post June 1st. So that's going to hurt them. So if they can get some good quality draft capital back, that's what the the Falcons are going to do. They're not worried about, uh, you know, a, a, a winner on the team or anything, but it, it was interesting. You know, it just kind of basically solidified. I think what we already knew that he was on his way out of Atlanta. You mentioned the winning team. Do you think he'd want to go to the Raiders? Raiders are trying to become a winning team and get over the hump and, Unfortunately for the Raiders, they're over under this year on the Vegas boards for wins is just seven in a 17 game season. Do you think he'd want to go or come here to Las Vegas? I do. I think he would, because if you look at the offense that the Raiders have, not the defense, but if you look at the offense, I think he would probably look at that and say, wow. That's a lot of weapons on the on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, the AFC West is a dog, and so that's going to be a, a tough battle every time. Anytime you have the Kansas City Chiefs in your division, but I mean, he could look at it and say, "Hey, there's Darren Waller, <laughs> there's Henry Ruggs with all that speed, former Alabama guy. There's Josh Jacobs in the backfield. There's Kenyon Drake, a bunch of Alabama guys. There's me out there. Uh, Derek Carr can sling the ball, and, and the offensive line is going to protect him. I think he's looking at it like, man, I'm not going to get double teamed." Uh, Yeah, okay, I I can go there. And I honestly, and this is a conversation I had on the podcast uh, today, as a matter of fact, I think that there is a better, not really a better respect, but there is a a little bit more level of respect from players across the league than there is from the national media for the Raiders across the league. I think that the players realize, especially offensively, John Gruden's an offensive-minded guy, and he's going to want to get the best of the best and get those players in the situation. I think these players like John Gruden more than the national media likes John Gruden. So you had a conversation the other day on your podcast 
uh, Lockdown Raiders podcast where uh, I saw your tease was uh, conversations about players naming the Raiders as a destination team. Is that the yeah. reason that you think they're so yeah. often a destination? Is it Vegas? Is it Gruden? What is it? Well, I think one, I think that the, the name Raiders always makes the story better. Uh, I, I think that especially when it comes to quarterbacks, you know, and the, the narrative is that Gruden and Carr don't get along, even though he's had four years to get rid of him and he still hasn't, uh, you know, which is kind of a, a funny scenario. But I think that adding the Raiders name to everything always makes it seem better. You know, if it's Russell Wilson, if it's Aaron Rodgers, or Julio Jones, if it's Tom Brady, whoever it is, it always makes it better when it when it has to do with the Raiders. I also think that the Raiders are that kind of organization that. Everyone knows, similar to the Knicks in basketball, that the league is better when the Raiders are better. And so I think a lot of players, you heard Yannick Ngakwe when he, uh, you know, had his press conference with the Raiders. Hey, if I can help turn this franchise around and get them over the hump and get them back to where they were back in the day, these guys know their history. And I know the Raiders haven't had any good history in a long time. I get it. But they know that, hey, it would mean a lot to be a Raider and uh, that could turn things around and, and all of a sudden end up in the Super Bowl or, or make a deep run in the playoffs. And and then they start thinking about endorsements. They're thinking about Vegas. They're thinking about the bright, bright lights, the brand new stadium. I mean, there's a lot of things to like about the direction that the Raiders are going in if they can get 10, 11, 12 wins this season and get into the playoffs, which is ultimately the goal. Raiders have a pretty deep receiving core, a lot of intriguing prospects. So I'll ask the question, don't rip my head off. Do the Raiders need Julio Jones? Yeah, he would be the number one wide receiver immediately. <laughs> okay, that was Aaron quick. Waller that was is, quick. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> Aaron Waller is the number one playmaker at a tight end position, but uh, you know, you look at those, like you said, you, they have intriguing players. They do. I like Brian Edwards. I like Henry Ruggs. I like Hunter Renfro. I like, you know, Zay Jones. I like, I mean, whatever, John Brown, you know, uh, Willie Sneed. That's cool, but they're not Julio Jones. Julio Jones would instantly be the number one wide receiver, make Henry Ruggs' job, I think, that much easier, and make Darren Waller that much more dangerous. I think that combo right there, Waller and Julio Jones, and then you got, you know, Foster Moreau still coming back from uh, injury, and, and he was back last year, but they had Jason Garrett, or not Jason Garrett, Jason Witten in front of him. Might as well have been Jason Garrett. <laughs> and Jason Witten in front of him, kind of slowing his progress down, but either way you look at it, I think think that there's so many weapons that Julio Jones would really thrive. And the, the biggest question I have is he's 32 and he played in nine games in 2020. Is he going to be that guy? Is he going to be a guy that's going to miss time because, well, he's getting older? Or is that just a one-off and he's going to go back to playing 14 to 17 games a season? That's going to be the big question. Pro Football Focus is uh, putting out stories ranking positions around the National Football League. Wanted to see what you thought of this one. They ranked the edge rushers around the National Football League the Raiders have the 24th best edge rusher and 32nd in Ngakwe and Cleve Furl. That seems kind of low. That doesn't seem very optimistic about the edge rush from the Raiders. No, it doesn't. And, you know, I'm actually surprised that Cleve Furl made it to number 32, to be honest, just because he hasn't put up uh, big numbers as far as uh, sacks. I know that he can get pressure on the quarterback. I know he's really good against the run. Uh, I think with Ngakwe, you just know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get eight to ten sacks a season. I mean, that's that's what you could sign up. You could write that right down on your paper right now. Unique Ngakwe will get, as long as he plays, he'll play, he'll get eight to ten sacks this season for the Raiders. He's just going to be that consistent dude. He's not going to go to 15. He's not going to challenge the, you know, the sack record in a season. He's not going to be that guy, but he's consistently going to get you about eight to ten sacks. So that's a good starting point. Now it's up to the guy across from him 
to get eight to 10 sacks, maybe a Max Crosby. Uh, you know, I, I'm really excited. I've sold you a couple times about Malcolm Kuntz, the, the uh, draftee out of Buffalo. I think he's going to get you four or five sacks. So if you get eight to 10 out of Ngakwe, eight to 10 out of Max Crosby, four or five out of Kuntz, now all of a sudden you're already higher than what you had all the last season when you only had 21 sacks. So it's coming along. Is it where it needs to be? No, but it's coming along. Q's going to stay with us. On the way back, we are going to address the uh, the A's shopping their wares around the country, visiting Las Vegas right now. Q is a Bay Area native, so I'm sure he's got a strong take on what the A's are doing and if Major League Baseball is going to step in and do the right thing. Cofield got his mortgage tuned up. You should, too. Call 877-700-NOVA now to lower your interest rate and lower your payments. Cofield and Company is on the road at the Nova Home Loan Studios. Cofield and Company live at Nova Home Loans on this Tuesday. I always love talking to Q Myers. All right, Q, I want to get to the A's here in about five minutes, but we've got some important stuff going on uh, around college football. There was a really good story by Dan Walken, uh, USA Today, about what George Floyd and his death and protest and you know an uprise last summer really meant to specifically college football and the coaches and the culture between the players and the coaches yeah you know the thing about it is once the George George Floyd death happened and with the pandemic and everything basically being shut down like it was it made college coaches and this is kind of the gist of the article by Woken is that it made these coaches make a decision on if they were going to back their players who 95% of them are African-American, you know, and they had they felt some kind of way about the situation and for years have not said anything and and just kind of toted the company line. Well, finally, especially with nothing going on, everyone got upset. Everyone got upset. Everyone started talking out about it. Everyone wanted to start, you know, having this conversation and wanted to make change. And all of a sudden you're seeing coaches and you're seeing ADs and you're seeing universities saying, whoa, what's going on? These players want to, you know, walk to to the to the uh, Capitol building or they want to do this. They want they want to uh, you know, they want it for the eyes of Texas. They don't want the, the song to be played because of some of the lyrics, you know, uh, in Mississippi. They want to take the Confederate flag down because what it represents. That was the moment for college players to say, hey. I know that we're getting a college scholarship. I know we're getting our education. I know that we have a lot of good things going for us. But right now we have a moment where we can say what's going on on our mind and we can speak on our mind and say, we're not going to go for this. We're not going to have this situation. And it it, it made coaches make a decision. Are they going to back their players or are they going to tote the company line as well? And some were a little bit slower to the table than others. But eventually you started to see everyone kind of make the decision to, to head in that direction and back their players. Now, I'm not saying every one of them was genuine. I think some of them just had to do it for just be, for, you know, purposes of, of what they see yeah. and, and make sure that it looked like they were all on the same page. But it, it started to have that conversation and it started to open things up where players had a little bit more say and a little bit more uh, their their opinions are allowed to be heard. And then coaches had to back them up and ADs as well. Now, this is all great, but I, I always try to throw in when we talk about uh, racial issues and lack of conversation and trying to make progress. I always like to mention, I work in a business sports radio that ain't diverse. Like from right. top to bottom, it is not very diverse. And uh, Jason Barrett, a former PD, has a great website. He's always examining kind of inside stuff in the sports radio and radio industry. And he asked a simple question, does sports radio value its black audience? 
And that's a great question. That really is, because as a as a black man who has a radio show every day, I, you know, I sometimes wonder that as well, where I appreciate all, you know, feedback. I appreciate all audience that is willing to tune, tune in and listen. You know, I sometimes wonder, you know, is, is a certain part of the audience not really appreciated when someone calls in and chimes in and says, hey, Q, I've been there, done that. I understand, you know, the the conversation that we're having right now, as opposed to, you know, do they really want do do people in charge, do people in power, do they really want to hear that or do they hear that and just kind of, ah, you know, kind of frown and, oh, here we go. You know, let's let's get back to sports or let's get to, you know, let's get to this next topic. So it, it always kind of makes me wonder. And I feel like over the tw- over 2020, as a guy that's been hosting radio shows for years back back in 99, I mean, I was doing music then, but still, I started in 99. There were certain conversation pieces that you didn't have on the radio. We didn't talk religion. We didn't talk politics and we didn't talk race. And I feel like over the year of the pandemic, we were allowed to start opening it up and having conversations and you guys do a really good job. I know that you, you know, you, you have no problem talking about this because the dialogue is good. So, I mean, there's, there's certain areas and certain people that are, are, are able to do it better than others. And I'll tell you from an African-American's point of view, sometimes it's hard for me because I feel like listen, my audience that may be listening is probably thinking, Oh, here goes the black guy thinking, what was me? You know what I mean? So I always kind of have to pick and choose and I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm, go- I'm going too hard in the paint and I'm trying to, you know, overburden you with with woe is me type situation because it's not woe is me. It's just trying to I just I just want people to to, to be able to hear different, you know, a, a different side of things and how things have been done and how things have been handled over the years and some of my different experiences. So when I say that, yeah, that, there's really is a problem with that. They know what I'm talking about. I'm not just making up something. Q Myers is with us. All right, let's close on the A's. So you're a Bay Area native. Yep. This has got to freaking drive you nuts. Now the A's are going to go on our little caravan around the country. And uh, I don't know if it's, you know, all pomp and circumstance. I don't know what's going on. First of all, the, the roots in Oakland, how bad is it in Oakland in terms of spending some public money to get a stadium done there? Oh, I mean, it's just it's just not going to happen. You know, I mean, just there's just no way that it's going to happen. I mean, that city, as much as I hate it as a as a Bay Area guy, as a guy that loves the city of Oakland, I just know what's what's going on there and, and the way that the, the money has shifted in that in that city. And, and they just really can't afford to get anything done. I mean, they lost the Warriors across the bridge to San Francisco. You know, I mean, they lost the the, the Raiders to to Vegas, obviously. And, and the A's now they're on a tour. They're on a world tour where they're going to go. And so it's just it's one of those situations where uh, Oakland, is is a great passionate city about everything that's theirs and everything that's theirs is, is being lost you know as far as professional sports teams so it's unfortunate I, I don't you know I can't just sit here and point the finger and say it's all Oakland's fault but I know that with everything that they have going on in that city um, you know public funding of a, of a billion dollar stadium is just not going to happen I don't care where they think it's going to be if it's going to be in the Howard Terminal if it's going to be on the Coliseum grounds if it's I don't care where it's going to be it's not going to it's just not going to get done you know, it's interesting. We've been bringing on here in Vegas sports radio hosts, media people from other markets who are on the supposed candidate list for relocation. Now, okay. sports radio people in general are going to be a little bit sour. Um, some are rah-rah, and, and, and this is a case where you kind of need to be rah-rah for your city. But, man, Q, we brought on people from Nashville and Louisville and Portland and a couple other markets are going to keep doing it. But the vibe I keep getting on baseball and the A's is one of not much hope in that city that they're going to get a stadium funded. And the other one is, it doesn't sound like a lot. I mean, again, the, the sports radio host doesn't always represent the audience fully. Right. But the other idea I get is, like, baseball? Eh. Like, they're not 
they're not that excited about baseball. And I wonder, as the A's go around the country, they, they may talk to business leaders who are fired up to get baseball on the market, but I wonder on the ground in all these markets we're talking about if people really want baseball and if the A's are going to have, like, four options to screw around with Oakland and go, look, we can go here, here, and here. Can you really go all these spots? You know, I, I have, that's a good question, and really it's because, in my opinion, what the A's do on the field, and, and they're a good team. Don't get me wrong, they're a good team, but they're, they're, they're old style of letting a player get really good and then trading them off. I mean, they don't have any star power. You know, they don't have that guy that's the big star attraction. They don't have the guy that you'll go to the game to watch him. Oh, he's in town? Yeah, I'm going to go watch him. Who's that for the A's right now? They don't have that guy, you know? And so that's what's unfortunate yeah, because I'm yeah. I'm a Bay Area guy, man. I grew up with Ricky Henderson. I grew up with Dave Henderson, Jose Caseco, Mark McGuire, Carney Lansford, Dave Stewart, Tony La Russa. I mean, I grew up with all those cats, man, and that made you go to the Coliseum and put three million-plus people in the building throughout the course of the year. That's not happening anymore. You just – you got what you got. You know, yep. you got a glorified team that's probably a, a major minor league team. And then when they get really good, they're going to move on for these guys. It I, sucks. I wonder I in I wonder in the meetings, Q, if there's actually a, a real baseball-savvy person who will fire back at the A's and go, listen, if we're going to fund this and you're going to come here and we're going to be partners in this, you guys have to operate like a real market team. Uh, and right. then go down a list of all the players they've let go, you know, instead of trying to sign and then have a higher payroll. And I understand why the A's do it now. I mean, they mostly, you know, it's out of necessity. But when they, uh, I'll tell you right now, if – if there's going to be a bunch of money put up and a new stadium built in Vegas, and then they come here and they're the you know scrappy, let's try to just get it done with the payroll, piece it together, A's, that will never work here. No, no. Who's going to go do that? There's too many options. The, the little many options. We, Vegas, Vegas ain't the little engine that could. No, no. I'll go to the LV Aces game and check out a couple stars there. You know, I'll go. I'll go do that, man. They got some. They got some heavy hitters there at the Las Vegas Aces. The A's don't have the name, man. They don't have any names besides, well, name. You know, whatever their name is on the back of the of the jersey. It's just, it's sad, man. Like I said, as a longtime A's fan, fan, I, I just hated to see them trade away everyone that was so good and made that place so great. It used to be so much fun to go out to the Coliseum and watch the A's win against anybody. And like I said, over the course of the year, at the end of the year, they'd say, we've had over 3 million fans here this season. And then they'd put Cool and the Gang on the screen, and it would celebrate good time. It was all that stuff. <laughs> there ain't no celebration going on right now. Q, that was awesome. Appreciate <laughs> it. We'll, we'll catch up with you uh, next week. Uh, what do you got coming up this week on Lockdown Raiders Podcast? Well, we're just going to continue to see how the, the, the conversations go with Julio Jones, you know, and, and where his destiny could be, uh, you know, and then just kind of talk about the roster that's going on with the Raiders, what it's looking like. And, of course, defense, 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 because that's the big elephant in the room. For them to get over the hump, defense has got to be a lot better. You're right. No doubt. Hi, right, Q. Thank you. Q Myers, Raider Nation. Check that. Yeah, Raider Nation Radio 920 and also Locked On Raiders Podcast. I can't remember all the things that Q does. He does local radio and – Waco as well. Uh, that is classic baseball. We talked to, you know, we just talked to Q. We talked to Alex Coffey earlier. And for A's Brass to say that they're going to basically slash things until they know what the hell's going on. You realize how, what a bad move that is if they think they're going to get in with Vegas? We're going to get rid of any player that's relevant at all, but build us a stadium. Yep. So, such classic baseball over the years. Denigrate, denigrate your product, uh, take apart your roster, and then like a year later, come and buy our products. Like, wait, what? Makes zero sense. It's so weird. 
Great job booking today by Ari. We appreciate it. Thanks for all the technical work by Angel. And thanks to the folks here at Nova Home Loans. Always appreciate Dustin and Don having us out here. Give them a call. Get that mortgage tune-up. Takes 20 minutes. 877-700-NOVA.